Well, let me ask you this. Are you one of the 4.5 million who quit their jobs last month? Yeah, that's a new record. 4.5 million. Well, let me ask you another question. Does quitting your job mean you're giving up? Hey, we're going to talk about that and more. Stick around. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, welcome into the month of May. Hey, the merry month of May. Golly, that came from what? Camelot years ago. The merry month of May. There's all kinds of things. How about no mo May? No mo May. That's actually a term. And it doesn't mean no more. It means no mow. There really is a movement going on to not mow your grass in the month of May. It's because of cons- conservation of bees. You know, there's a lot of buzz about that these days. People planting gardens, installing bee houses, concern about the bees. Yeah, there's really a move. It started in England, but it's moving into the United States to not mow your yard in the month of May. Because it gives time for, you know, the flowers, the spring flowers to come out, a lot of pollination to take place, feeds the bees. I could see in my community response from the the HOA and the neighbors if we didn't mow. As a matter of fact, as I'm speaking here, they're out mowing our grass right now. You know, I could get into that, though. I really could. If we decided to do that, that'd be kind of a cool thing, not mow it. What's it going to be? 10, 12 inches tall, not a big deal. A lot of flowers and stuff, and then mow it and get back to normal. But sounds like a cool thing. You can check it out, the No Mow May movement. Well, here's some questions we're going to be dealing with. If you're new to the show, thank you for joining us. The 48 minutes means that we typically spend about 48 minutes unpacking questions. The 48 days, the name of the show, comes from the idea years ago that I developed where that's enough time to assess where you are. Take a fresh look. What your options are, get the advice and opinion of other smart people, identify maybe three or four options, do a little bit more study, choose one and act. There you go. That's it. That's the process. You can do that. I still believe in that. We see that being played out every day. 48 days to the work you love where you can find or create that work that's meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. So here we are taking questions from you, the listeners. I value those if I answer one of your questions here. We'll send you a brand new fresh copy of 48 Days to the Work You Love in its current version. It's been updated every five years, so it's been through quite a few iterations. Now the 2020 version is out there. And yeah, I'm compiling based on questions, things we talk about here, compiling information that'll go into the 2025 version. Well, here's some questions we'll be dealing with today. Somebody says, I'm a dean of students at my school, but I was just arrested and am now on administrative leave. I think my career in education is over. So we're going to talk about what that precipitates. Someone says, my question is about when to cut the cord on a business idea you've started working on. All right, Dan, what are your thoughts on doing business together with friends at church as a group? And then Dan, I'm in the late third quarter of life. Is there time for a comeback? Well, quotation comes from Seth Godin. This actually comes out of a little book titled The Dip. But he says this, this is again Seth Godin, 
Quitting a job doesn't have to mean giving up. A job is just a tactic, a way to get what you really want. As soon as your job hits a dead end, it makes sense to quit and take your quest to a bigger marketplace because every day you wait puts your goal farther away. Okay, now we're going to address that as it relates to one of the questions here, when it makes sense to quit and what that means, as it may be opening up a new opportunity rather than hitting a dead end. You know where I'm going to go with that. So our resource today, because I referenced it here, a couple of people um, are candidates for looking at the 15-hour-a-week process that I talk about. So if you go to 48dayseagles.com slash 15 hours, you can open that up. It's a free masterclass, worksheets, and everything there. Again, go to not just 48 days. It's This one is 48dayseagles.com slash 15 hours. We'll put that in the show notes so you can e- get easy access to it. You know, it's interesting. I get every week uh, rankings on my podcast, and there's a lot of countries where my podcast is broadcast. I'm down in Russia. I dropped a little bit in Russia. Now, I, I still can't get my head around how my podcast would be popular at any standing in Russia, but it is. But I, I dropped a little bit this week. Not sure why, but my goodness, trying to explain why anything's happening in Russia is pretty challenging right now. I'm grateful there's anybody there that's listening to things that may help them see positive solutions to the mess that's happening there. I'm up, incidentally, in Botswana. I'm not even sure where that is. I have to look it up. But I just jumped up to number 17 of podcasting in Botswana. So grateful for that. All right. Well, let's jump into some questions here. Well, I want to, I want to address a little bit, though, just this this idea that 4.5 million workers quit their jobs. Now, that was in March, this being brand new in May. We don't have the figures yet for April. But in March, 4.5 million workers quit their jobs in America. That's just in America, 4.5 million. That is a new record. Now, what the deal is there is there's a whole lot of people who are looking for opportunities to work remotely. And of course, that's been exploding as an opportunity. Companies realized that they didn't have to have, during COVID, they realized they didn't have to have their workers under a real estate roof in order to do productive work. They could be a lot of different places and be doing productive work. So that's more of a possibility, but that's one of the main reasons people are quitting. They're saying, you know, I just don't like the hassle of having to go into the office. With a computer that I'm working on anyway, why can't I just work from home? So that's a lot of what's going on. In the month of March as well, we now have 11.5 million jobs available. So there's a big, big opportunity there, and that's why we can have 4.5 million who quit their jobs. We've been tending to have around 7 to 8 million new hires each month. So there's a positive uptick in the number of people working. Unemployment continues to fall pretty dramatically. So it's not that there's a lot of unemployment or these people quitting their jobs are just doing nothing. No, they're just finding new opportunities. We've been talking about this. This continues. This is now the 10th month where there have been consecutively over over 4 million people have quit their jobs, again, hitting an all-time high in March. We'll see what comes in for April. But interesting, but if you are thinking about a new opportunity, certainly you're in the driver's seat. I mean, this is a time when you can get a job offer. 
Uh, you can get four job offers depending on what you're looking for this afternoon if you get out there and just walk into places. But even at higher levels, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of churning that's going on, but a lot of people finding newer opportunities. Hey, speaking of uh, quitting head, head on a whim and just going somewhere else, there's a note out. There's a new Guinness World Record that's been set for the longest time employed at the same company. Now, when you think about that, you know, we think about, we joke about, you know, 25 years at the same company or, or put in your 35 years and get a gold watch. This guy, this dude has worked at the same company for 84 years. 84 years. This is a guy in Brazil. He's 100 years old. So you can do the math. He says when he was, he was actually 14 and his mom took him out and said that as the oldest son of five, he needed to get a job, help support the family. So he did. He went to work uh, at a textile company. He was 15 years old at the time, took the job to help support his family as they were facing financial problems. Um, he worked in the warehouse first, and then he got a role in sales, ultimately a sales manager position. He still goes into the office every day, and he celebrated his 100th birthday there with family, friends, coworkers last month. So he's been at the same place for 84 years. Now, I mean, we used to look at this kind of thing and really see it as a badge of honor. Somebody's been at the same company for 20 years. Oh, my gosh, they must be a wonderful, wonderful worker. Well, you know, that's changed. I mean, that, that's changed a lot. There are companies now that look at somebody who, um, you know, somebody who's been at the same company for 20 years and they think, wow, did this person never grow? Did they never look for a new opportunity? Or are they just content with mediocrity? It can be seen differently. Now, certainly within a company, there are opportunities to move up. And some of you maybe have been with the same company, but you're in a different position because you've gotten five promotions in that company. This guy's pretty interesting. Now, in as much as we, we kind of uh, draw attention to this, and it's certainly interesting to have a world record to be at the same company for 84 years, what he says about that eh, kind of makes me cringe. Here's what he says. I don't do much planning, nor care much about tomorrow. All I care about is that tomorrow will be another day in which I'll wake up, get up, exercise, and go to work. You need to get busy with the present, not the past or the future. Here and now is what counts. Well, that kind of explains why he's been there for 84 years. I don't do much planning. Don't care much about tomorrow. Well, if that's you, yeah, chances are we get a good prediction of what your life is going to be like five years from now. Pretty much the same as it is now. Well, that's not me. I'm always doing planning. I do care about tomorrow. I'm looking to how, how can I be doing things that are different, better, more productive, more efficient, more rewarding, in all kinds of ways. I'm always looking for, I love change. Well, this guy obviously does not. Anyway, just an interesting piece. Um, if you're going for a world record, you're probably going to break his 84 years. So you might as well enjoy the journey and find things that you love along the way, even if that means switching gears here and there. All right. Now, got a note here. Um, okay. We're just going to work with Matt's question. Matt says, I've been a student of yours for years. I heard you on Dave Ramsey's show, bought the three-ring binder. That goes back prior to the 20 years ago when the hardback came out. My goodness, landed a job. 
I would have never gotten without your teaching. I have been a professional baseball umpire, jailer, youth pastor, pastor, teacher, and most recently a dean of students at a private school. I've been a speaker at a few events. My wife and I wrote a marriage seminar booklet, presented it in Poland to our friend's church to wild acclaim. And then he says, okay, maybe not wild. I've taken coach training. My wife and I host a podcast. I've thought about going out on my own for a couple of years, but just haven't pulled the trigger. However, circumstances have changed. I was just arrested along with three of my colleagues at my school. I was charged with failure to report a crime to CPS and with covering it up. Dan, I can't tell you how much BS these charges are. There are other schools in my town that have experienced the same thing. Politics is playing a large part in all of this. I'm confident that all of us will be exonerated, but waiting and being on paid administrative leave is hard. I'm fully aware that my career in education is most likely over, and accusation is all it takes. My question to you is what sort of advice would you have on how to proceed I've kept myself busy working out, reading 100 pages a day, working on my property, being a husband, dad, and granddad, but I'm eager to get my life back. I'm not asking for legal advice, but would like to see a bright future for myself. I'm 57 years old. Thank you, Dan, for all you've done and who you are. Okay, Matt, let's review a little bit of what you bring to the table. You said this, I've been a professional baseball umpire, jailer, youth pastor, pastor, teacher, Dean of Students, I've been a speaker. My wife and I have written a, a marriage seminar booklet. I've taken coach training. My wife and I host a podcast. Okay, there's a whole lot of things that you have in there. You've identified the one thing that you're doing is Dean of Students at a private school, and right now that's in jeopardy and you're on administrative leave. You know, a lot of times when life brings us what appears to be an obstacle, it really is a new door to something better. You know, we, we share a lot around here. When you reach those kind of unexpected or unwelcome obstacles in the road, ask the question, what does this make possible? What does this make possible? Now, two weeks ago, I inserted just a little, a little note that I titled Stay Away From Students, and I talked about uh, the further one moves away from actual contact with students, the higher the salary is likely to be. I mean, classroom teachers interact directly, they make the lowest salaries. Principals move away a little bit. You know, as a dean, I'm sure you were up a little bit more. And then university presidents, I mean, there are four university presidents that earned more than $3.5 million last year in 2021. So that being said, I mean, schools are certainly an opportunity to have a positive impact on young people, but not a place to have freedom or to thrive financially, which are two things that you've mentioned here. Now, as of April 26th, I mean, that was just a few days ago, and I just checked this. As of April 26, 2022, the average annual pay for a private high school teacher in Florida is $35,659 a year. All right, so if we take that income, divide it by 12 months, just amortize it over the 12 months rather than the nine when you're actually teaching, but over 12 months for a full year's income, then look at one morning's income, it totals $68.63. So here's my question. You're used to doing seminars, teaching, coaching, consulting. You can spend your three hours in the morning teaching 10th grade kids, mathematics, or you could present a three-hour training program for a company and be paid $5,000, and you get to choose. Again, I don't want to diminish the value of teaching, but 
you've been presented with an opportunity here to look at what is your best direction forward. And I, well, I mean, this, this sounds like the perfect time to move into coaching, consulting, training, speaking, and creating seminars, all the things you were doing to some degree already in the school system. But now you can do that in a much more effective way. So, Matt, I, I would say instead of fighting the system to return to your position, see this as a prompt to take advantage of all the preparation you've been doing to essentially play on a bigger field. And instead of just waiting while you're on administrative leave, use this time to launch the things for which you've already built a foundation. You know, this. Here, here I'm going to go to the next question. Got some of the kind of tie together. This next question weighs in on this as well. Taza ask, and she is from St. Albans, Hertfordshire, United Kingdom. Deja, thanks for waiting here. She says, Dan, I'm in the fortunate position to have done some great side hustles. Some have been immensely successful and some have fizzled out. I'm doing a couple at the moment, which are great fun and mostly profitable. My question is about when to cut the cord on a business idea you've started working on. I'm a person who hates to see something I've invested in die, but I'm conscious that if you have a portfolio of ideas, you back the winners and spend your time on those rather than the ones that don't look like they'll ever fly. I mean, with the sanctuary, she's talking about our place that we had up in Tennessee, you just kept going. But if you'd gotten multiple other successful streams of work that were all more important and more profitable and frankly more fun, when would you have called, called it quits? And of course, let me just add that I'm a massive fan of 48 Days Podcast. I've listened to loads of podcasts, but keep coming back to the fact that the clarity and relevance of your messages stand head and shoulders above the others. Thanks for continuing to guide and provide motivation. Well, golly, thank you so much for your kind words there at the end. And let's look at your, uh, look at your question. When is it time to cut the cord? Well, for me... I look at everything that I start as a one-year experiment. I mean, when I started blogging, this podcast, my mastermind, our 48 Days Eagles community, I mean, all of those, I started to see how it was going after one year. And when I start something, when I really think it through and think it has potential to move into that, I do it for one year without second-guessing myself. And we know that podcast, the average podcast has seven episodes. That's the average That means some have one or two or three, you know, some have 10. The average is seven for all podcasts, which is, I mean, it's kind of hilarious. I guess it could be sad, but it just is what it is. There's not much barrier to get in. But if somebody really goes through the effort to get the equipment and get up on, you know, where your podcast is going to be out there on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, other formats like that, YouTube, you know, it takes a little work to do that. I can't imagine just pulling the, cut the cord in your vernacular, Taza, cut the cord after seven episodes. That's not even two months. So in mine, sure, if in my encouragement to any of you that start a podcast, do it for a year. I don't care if you have three listeners after a month, do it for a year, because that's a, a reasonable time frame in which to see, are you really going to get some kind of traction? So I do everything as a one-year experience and experiment, yeah. Now, I know we hear a lot about persistence. I mean, Calvin Coolidge, the most famous quotation on persistence is this. Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common 
than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. The slogan, press on, has solved and always will solve the problems of the human race. Now, we've used that a lot. You know, we hear about the gold miner who, who stopped and gave up three feet short of the gold vein that somebody else came in and found after him. I mean, we all hear about that. We all grew up thinking that quitting anything, you know, was really a big failure. And I know that, you know, quitting feels like a, a go down. You know, when I have somebody who quits a job or loses a job, perhaps even without expecting them, their first expectation is that they're going to have less. Okay, we aren't going to go on vacation this year. We're going to turn back in the lease car we have. You know, we're going to pull the kids out of private school. You know, they think less, okay, that a change like that is going to mean less. Quitting feels like that kind of a go-down moment, perhaps. You know, when, geez, you know, when the rock you were pushing up the hill is not going to roll all the way back down the hill. You know, of course you were trying to do your best, and you think, if I were just a better or stronger person, I would not have quit. But I don't think it's true. I mean, there are times when quitting is the smartest thing to do. I mean, if you're hitting your thumb with a hammer, don't try to do it better or more efficiently. Stop hitting your thumb. Quit. Look for a better alternative. I mean, don't focus on the humiliation of uh, uh, quitting, seeing that as a humiliation. I mean, see it as a go-up opportunity, not a go-down opportunity. I mean, quitting the thing where you're just mediocre or something that's making you miserable is not a humiliation. It's a brilliant decision to move away from that to do something better. You can free yourself up to move into your zone of genius. Now, every, every month this year, we're going through a book in our 48 Days Eagles community. So we've gone through, you know, See You at the Top, The Magic of Thinking Big. Um, then we went through Future Proofing You. And in June, in June, we're going to be going through The Dip. Now that is a book from Seth Godin. The Dip, some, from Seth Godin. And again, the quotation that I used earlier here is this, quitting a job is not quitting your quest to make a living or a difference or an impact. Quitting a job, and you can substitute in here, quitting a business, quitting an idea that you had that you thought was going to work, doesn't have to mean giving up. A job or business is just a tactic, a way to get what you really want. As soon as your job or your business hits a dead end, it makes sense to quit. Take your quest to a bigger marketplace because every day you wait puts your goal farther away. Now, Tiza, you mentioned the sanctuary, how I kept pushing to get the codes issues resolved at the county. I pushed relentlessly for four years, nine months, and three days. Believe me, I know the exact days to get that completed. And yes, there were times when I thought about just walking away. But I was confident there was a goal there that was still worth pushing toward. Yes, it was frustrating. Yes, it was emotionally draining. And yes, there was no guarantee I would get it all resolved. But I kept believing. And instead of just walking away, I kept persisting. And instead of then having just a worthless, worthless piece of property, no, we sold it. I mean, eight days after the county attorney signed off and everything, we sold it for $1.25 million. Knowing that potential, and that number grew during those 
four years that I was working on it. But knowing that potential kept me going, even when the odds looked slim, and they did, but it did keep me going. So it's not a one-size-fits-all answer here. It's really not. But when you're working on a business idea, again, my, my experiment is usually for a year. There have been times when I've extended the one year to three years to then take a fresh look at it again. And there have been some things where I've gone beyond a year where ultimately I did just discard it and move on. I mean, I'm always looking for, as we approach the beginning of any new year, I'm looking for what is that 15% of what I'm doing now that I'm going to discontinue. I'm always looking for that. And there have been things in there that have been successful, profitable things, but it just fell in that 15%. And we decided just to cut that. It's not going to be something we continue doing. So it's not a one-size-fits-all, but uh, be willing to quit and walk away. Don't just keep pushing when something's not working because you think persistence is ultimately going to pay off. It doesn't always. It may just leave you more frustrated over time. Great question. Thanks for sending that in. And, and, and actually, I'd be happy to send you a, a copy of uh, 48 Days to the Work You Love, as I do with each of the questions here that we answer. Rachel asks, Dan, what are your thoughts on doing business together as a group? I'm a part of a business class being held at my church, and part of the coursework is to come up with a business idea for the group to pursue. We will vote on the best idea in a few weeks. The class has 15 students. Each person can decide whether or not they want in on the business idea. What are your thoughts on this? Do you have any examples of businesses that churches could start to generate income? What's the best way to deal with the money aspect of this? Startup cost, distribution of profits, and so on. Well, Rachel, I love the idea. I mean, I think it has a potential for you to, as a group, to find or create an opportunity to do something fun, something that may uh, benefit your community and may make a reasonable profit that you could then use as seed money for something else. There's so much to learn by doing a business together like that. Now, I would encourage you to keep it simple. I mean, you may have a farmer in your church congregation who has some land and he's going to give you access to three acres and you could grow popcorn, you know, just as a project, just as a seasonal project or organic vegetables, or you could bring in bees. I talked about, you know, not mowing your grass. You bring in bees. I mean, that's really popular. Set up beehives, do that together, harvest, harvest the honey. I mean, you could uh, build raised garden frames together and then sell them along with the dirt seeds and coaching on how to have a family project and great food. Now, for those kind of ideas, you don't really need any legal structure at all. You just agree to do a project together. It's not complicated. And I would encourage you to keep it uncomplicated. If you're looking for bigger ideas, I mean, if you want to buy an old hotel and you're going to convert it into apartments or condos, I mean, that's, that's quite different. I mean, there you would need to form a simple company and have a clear structure for investing, uh, perhaps borrowing together and a long-term plan for managing, handling the financial returns, so you have to decide, what, what do you want? Do you want this just to be a, a short-term idea that you do while you're in this class together? I mean, it reminds me of a, a program that I'm involved in as a mentor. It's called CEO, and it's Creating Entrepreneurial Opportunities. We have high school kids commit to this program for a year, and then they work with business mentors who are volunteers from the community. But each student has to come up with a business idea on their own that they do. 
and they do a project together as a group in the course of that year. There have been some really fun ideas come out. I love watching the ideas that come out of that. And some of them, you know, we're keeping our eye on them. Some of them have the potential to go on to be a bigger idea rather than just a short-term project for the group to do together like that. But it has, what you're talking about has a lot of benefits that you could do together. I mean, I have started a new company uh, just recently. I've mentioned a couple times, I think, but it's, it's the Eagles Innovation Group. And in that, I am inviting people who have been successful financially to put an investment in. Everybody comes in equally at $48,000. So we're not talking millions or anything. We're talking about a reasonable sum. Somebody who's doing okay can put in. And then we have the joy of doing projects together. We have been vetting companies pretty much every week. We're looking at companies that we're going to invest in. And then in that investment, it gives the people who are involved not only the opportunity for financial return, but this is very unlike just opening your computer and buying a few more Apple stock. This is an opportunity where you have an investment and then an opportunity to have an active participation role in that company as being on the board of advisors or maybe even a CFO or you know taking an active uh, interim CEO role in that or helping them with marketing or data input, some kind of structure. I mean, who knows? The opportunities are endless and that's what we're doing. And, and we're so excited about it. It's, it's one of the most fun things I've ever done, but it has some of the components of what you're talking about now there, because we are having people put in money. Uh, we did, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with attorneys creating a very, very clear legal structure for how this is going to work. And again, if you have people putting in significant amount of money, then you will need to do that. But I doubt that that's what you're talking about when you talk about doing a project with some other people in a class at your church. Yeah, embrace the idea. I'd be all in if I were you. Well, Ed says, Dan, I'm in the late third quarter of life. Is there time for a comeback? Um. It says, I've been a listener of your podcast for a few years now. I really enjoy the message. I'm halfway to 68 and still working. You know, I laughed when I read that. It says, I'm halfway to 68 and still working. Well, is he 34? Halfway to 68? Still working? That would not be unexpected. No, I'm sure what you're talking about here is that you're 67 and a half. I'm halfway to 68 and still working. It says, I've been in the hospitality industry since I was 14 years old in about every possible position. Currently, I work in distribution and manage large chain accounts. This July will be my 16th year anniversary with my current company. If anything, I'm loyal. There you go, Ed. You're on your way to that hitting that 84 year mark, like a like I mentioned previously here. Well, he says there's a lot I like about the company, the people I work with, the income, and certain tasks. But there's something missing. There has to be more. Okay, I enjoy. Um, I enjoy uh, helping others. I had a neighbor in his 90s who I used to do things for. Clean his leaves in the fall, shovel his walk in the winter, etc. I really got great satisfaction in helping him. It really let me up. My dilemma, my current job is wearing me down. The emails, the phone calls, the details, the constant maintaining. Maintaining is not my forte and I'm exhausted. My wife and I have both taken our social security and with my, and my income, I'm making the most money I've ever made in my life and I like it. I don't want to touch my investments until I'm required by law to take distributions. To do that, I'll need about an additional $15,000 annually to support supplement our Social Security. This will give me the minimum with some excess. I want to continue to work, but not at the current amount of hours and pace. 
I know I could go get a part-time job easily and make 15000 but I like the idea of doing things in my time with my freedom. i um, been a member of 40 Days Eagles, but haven't taken advantage of it. So we'll, we'll help you out with that. Ed. I'd appreciate any guidance. God bless, and thanks for all you do for so many. Well, I would encourage you, don't look for traditional cookie-cutter solutions for your unique one-in-a-million life. I mean, the life you're living, Ed, what you describe it, there's nobody else in the world that has those same things in place, the same life that you're living. So look for a unique solution that fits you, not just a cookie-cutter one or just, I can go down to Home Depot and work you know, work a few hours a week and create that extra money that I need. No. You know, you, you say, as a matter of fact, you know, you say, I know I could go get a part-time job and easily make the 15000 but I like the idea and things on my time with, with my freedom. So instead of getting a part-time job that's going to lock you in and take away your freedom, think about all the things you could do on your own, your own time, your own schedule. I mean, that's why I put in the 15-hour-a-week model. You know, pull that down. Look at that. We talk about that as a way that you can create a project that you would enjoy that you could do on your own time. It may be something where you set a system in place and it creates that much money without you spending, having to spend more than an hour a week doing that. We got a lot of ideas in there that could help you do that. Now, a couple of years ago, I, I wrote a piece. We had a lot of response to it and I titled it wealth isn't made by the hour. It's made with ideas and a plan of action. So if you want to generate a little more money, and in the example here, I said you want to make an extra $2,600 a month. That's more than double what you're talking about, Ed. I mean, you're only talking about needing to generate another $1,250 a month. But I'll put a link to this article in there. Wealth isn't made by the hour. It's made with ideas and a plan of action. And I talk about the fact that just hourly pay will keep you poor. And that's certainly true now more than ever. So the question is, how can you make that extra $1,250 a month what would you have to do to generate at least that much without just taking a part-time job? Well, you could, you know, mow a few yards every week. You could spend $1,300 on an old, old silver at garage and estate sales, clean it up, know the market, and then double your investment selling it on eBay. You know, a lot of people are doing something like that. You could create a sports-themed sticker package for golf carts and sell them at, uh, sell 100 of them at $26 each. Here's your $2,600. You could buy a fixer-upper. I mean, we've got a pretty wild real estate market right now. Boy, I know some people who are crushing it with buying properties, rehabbing them, putting them back on the market. I mean, rents of well, rents are up 55% where I live here in Sarasota, Florida, they say this year, 55%. I mean, that's nuts. If you had a, a place that you were renting for $1,500 a month, well, all of a sudden, you know, you can rent that for $2,200 a month. That's a pretty big increase. There are things like that you could do. You could be the graffiti removal expert in your town. I mean, you get 10 contracts for, well, you get, you know, five contracts for $260 a month. I mean, that's a very real thing where you get to go out and just keep those clean. Some months you may not have to do anything, but you have a contract to keep the graffiti off of that. Really common kind of idea. And you make your extra $1,200 a month. You could uh, set up to sell kettle corn at local fairs, festivals, fundraisers, church events. I mean, I love that kind of idea. You know, there's nothing that has a line like kettle corn at these little fairs and street festivals that you see because the smell just carries everywhere. It's so wonderful. But I mean, that's very, very 
possible to do something like that, where you have a couple events, couple weekends you're out. I mean, I know an attorney lady who, with her 15-year-old son, they have a hot dog cart, and they set up at, um, at a Lowe's on just Saturdays and Sundays, and they make 1500 bucks a week, you know, profit doing that. I mean, just a cool kind of thing. She's doing it to teach her son business skills and just for the fun they have doing something together like that. Obviously, she makes a lot more money as an attorney, but it's it's a cool idea that they can do together. With what you're describing, Ed, you may want to keep your current job. I mean, the something more that you're looking for may be found by developing a little side business or by volunteering or by clarifying your strongest skills there at work. You know, maybe you can stay where you are and just clarify what you're doing so you're not spending as much time in these details you describe, but more in what is your unique zone of genius. So there's no need to kill the golden goose. And just don't expect all your joy and fulfillment to come from that job or any job. Sounds like you're in a great place. Cal, I'd be delighted to get a six-month update on what decisions you made to move forward here. Well, let me grab just one more. This comes from Richard. And um, Richard says, you know, I didn't pull that properly here. He's saying that he's in an opportunity to do consulting. He's working with an automotive company, and he's been given the task of providing consulting to the companies that they have, that they're doing business with, and wondering what is a resource to know how to do that well. Well, I've got one. Any of you interested in consulting, grab this book by all means. It's by Alan Weiss. Last name is W-E-I-S-S, Alan Weiss, and it's titled Million Dollar Consulting, The Professional's Guide to Growing to Practice, Million Dollar Consulting. Now, the reason that he and, and he's been doing this for years. I mean, he generates more than a million dollars a year with just one part-time assistant. So he doesn't have a big team. We're not talking about a million dollars and he's got, you know, 30 employees where that has to be split. No, he's just a single guy who has developed ways to do this. Here's how it works. Just, just a quick overview. He develops systems where you can take it from one company to the next. Richard, in, in your example here. It may be um, effective inventory management if somebody has automotive parts and accessories. So effective inventory management for automotive suppliers. But in doing that, 85% of what you do for company A, you can also use for company B. So what Alan talks about in this book, Million Dollar Consulting, is you know, go out and yeah, so you're going to help this company. So you get a contract for $85,000 to help this company set up a new inventory control management system. While you're doing that, you could go to three other companies and offer the same service, the same kind of niche training that you're going to be doing. So you're not just consulting on all kinds of different issues. No, just very, very tight niche and what it is you consult in. But then the system that you're going to use for company A say 85% of that, you can use for company B. You're only going to personalize 15% of that. But they're paying you for the entire process. So you can overlap projects. So you're going to have three or four of those going on at the same time. And they're not paying you for your time. They're paying you for the completed project. Just like I talked about in the earlier question here, if you get paid by the hour, you're always going to stay poor. The only way you're going to get wealthy is if you switch to being paid by the project. This is a perfect opportunity for doing exactly that. Great question. 
Well, hey, I love all the questions. Thanks for sending those in. As always, you know, if I answer your question, be happy to send you a note from me and an autographed copy of 48 Days to the Work You Love, the current version. So send those in. You can go to 48days.com slash askdan, and it'll give you the opportunity to do that. Again, that's 48days.com slash askdan. Well, hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for sending in your questions. Thanks for being the kind of people that you are. I love interacting with you. I hear so many stories about things you're doing that are creative and innovative in this volatile work environment where, yeah, a whole lot of you are saying, eh, this isn't working too well. I'm going to look at some new options. You don't have to worry about getting a gold watch because you put in 20 years. That's not likely to happen anyway. So stay in the driver's seat if that means you've been at a job for two years and see something that's a better opportunity or want to move into doing something on your own. Hey, no shame in that at all. No humiliation at all in quitting. It means you're moving to a better opportunity. That's what we're all doing out here. A whole lot of us have taken that path rather than just saying, hey, I don't plan for tomorrow. I don't care what happens. I'm just going in and doing what I do today. Nah, that's not our approach here in the 48 Days community. So, Thanks again for listening, sending in those questions, for being open to growing and being a powerful force and making the world a better place. And then for believing without a shadow of a doubt that we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Talk to you next week.